The reason that our country is in the mess that it is in today is not because of the Republicans, it's not because of the Democrats. Let me tell you this, it's because of lame Christians. There is a reproach that comes with being a follower of Christ. We in America have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture. A church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with Christ. The church is a fortress, and a fortress is strength. A fortress is might. Not only a center of defense, but a place of strategic planning and offense. Our God does not expect us to wait for the darkness to enclose around us. He expects us to take up His banner and fight the darkness with His light. You want to know what the biggest problem with America is? The wolf is this country. Gave in. Gave in to public pressure. Gave in to political correctness. One of the greatest curses this country has ever had to deal with is political correctness. Preparing the Christian to shine the light against the darkness of this world. Welcome to Our Mighty Fortress Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Miller, and welcome to the show. We have a very thought-provoking subject to cover today, but first, please go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform which you're listening to us upon. We have several social media platforms with all sorts of material that you can listen to and read. Be sure to check us out on our fan page on Facebook when you type in the search bar, the at symbol, Mighty Fortress 313. That page is growing more and more. We're trying to get above 5,000 followers and cruising on upwards with that. You can also take a look at our website at OurMightyFortress.com. We do have a host of media there that you can look and read different various things articles videos and even a link to our merch store to help support the work if of course you do feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here feel free to do so through our website in the established paypal link if we've helped you in some way we'd love to be able to hear about it as well you can hit us up on our email which is our mighty fortress at gmail.com by following and supporting the podcast You let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I would like to talk about a wager that we all must place in this life. When we think about wagering, we think about a casino or playing a card game like poker. But we all must wager on what is greater than any game or building. Rather, it is for the very soul of man before God. I'm going to talk about Blaise Pascal and his writing called Pascal's Wager. There's a lot of ink that has been spilled on this topic as well as visual media that you can find on YouTube. I will say that I'm going to try to present a more applicable version of this wager as I think Pascal intended it to be. Not many have actually heard the whole of Pascal's Wager and I will read it and not just some chopped down version. After this, we're going to look at Pascal's arguments as a whole and how they correlate with scripture. He does make a powerful argument from not only what is called general revelation, but also special revelation, and we're going to talk about that. We'll even look at the detractors and atheists who have something to say against this writing even centuries later. Finally, I wanted to present an interesting facet of the wager that 
maybe some have never heard or thought about. In the end, maybe you can use this to provoke thought of somebody on the edge of becoming a Christian. It will definitely show the lack of logic and reason in those who attack Christianity and bring forth the real reason why their choice is made against God. With that introduction, let's get right into this. Blaise Pascal lived between 1623 and 1662. Now, if you think about it, he only lived about 40 years. He wasn't that old before he died. He was a scientist, mathematician, and adhered to Yanism, which is a sect of Catholicism. In his writings called the Provincial Letters, he wrote about the discontentment he had with the Catholic Church and its immorality. And this is definitely a story for another time. While being a Yanist, which isn't exactly in lockstep with Catholic belief, and really it's more towards what we would call Calvinism today, Pascal would die without a personal written claim as Jesus Christ as Savior by faith alone and by grace alone. While this may not start off on so much of a good note, his chief work was called Ponce, which laid much of the context for what is called Pascal's Wager. This work is still being talked about centuries later and is useful in its context let me read what he wrote about the wager that all of man has to make he says quote let us then examine this point and say god is or he is not but to which side shall we incline reason can decide nothing here there is infinite chaos which separates us a game is being played at the extremity of this infinite distance where heads or tails will turn up. What will you wager? According to reason, you can do neither the one thing or the other. According to reason, you can defend neither of the propositions. Do not then reprove the error for those who have made a choice, for you know nothing about it. No, but I put blame, or I blame them for having made not this choice, but a choice. For again, both he who chooses the heads and he who chooses tails are equally at fault. They are both in the wrong. The true course is not to wager at all, says the unbeliever. Yes, Pascal says, but you must wager. It is not optional. You are embarked. Which will you choose then? Let us see. Since you must choose, let us see which interests you least. You have two things to lose, the true and the good, and the two things to stake, your reason and your will, your knowledge and your happiness, and your nature has two things to shun, error and misery. Your reason is no more shocked in choosing one rather than the other, since you must of necessity choose. This is the point settled. But your happiness? Let us weigh the gain and the loss in wagering that God is. Let us estimate these two chances. If you gain, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Wager then without hesitation that he is. This next part, Pascal goes into basically describing what are the person's chances of the risk versus reward assessment. He says, quote, 
but there is an eternity of life and happiness. And this being so, if there were an infinity of chances, of which only one would be for you, you would still be right in wagering one to win two, and you would act stupidly being obliged to play by refusing to stake one life against three at a game in which out of an infinity of chances there was one for you if there is an infinity of an infinite happy life to gain but there is an infinity of an infinitely happy life to gain a chance of gain against a finite number of chances of loss and what you stake is finite it is all divided Wherever the infinite is, and there is not an infinity of chances of loss against that of gain, there is no time to hesitate. You must give all, and thus one is forced to play. He must renounce reason to preserve his life, rather than risk it for infinite gain, as likely to happen as the loss of nothingness. End quote. Pascal makes an argument from what is called general revelation and that rationality alone compels us to wager that god exists general revelation is everything we see around us in nature to the earth and the universe itself the latter part of what i read to you pascal was making an argument associated with mathematics itself and that how you wagering just on mathematics pointing towards God is pretty good. You have your chances that God existing is really, really good. And really that's a podcast in itself um, and a topic another day of how mathematics and how the universe being mathematical is an evidence for God. But coming soon, another podcast. Pascal does make the case that creation itself cries out that there is a God. The Apostle Paul makes the same case in the book of Romans, chapter 1, and verse 20. It says, quote, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. End quote. Who were they? Those are the people who claim to be unbelievers. Then Pascal appeals through special revelation which is the kind that God gives through his word, his prophets, and his son, Jesus Christ. This appeal is made with the difference of being between heaven and hell. The Apostle Paul also makes this case earlier in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. It says, quote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, end quote. In Pascal's first premise, he states that if God exists, you are better off as a believer than as a non-believer. He does this to the contrary of his second premise that he says that even if God doesn't exist, you're still better off being a believer than being an unbeliever. That's interesting. In his book, Philosophy and the Christian Faith, author Colin Brown said this, he said, quote, To bring some men to the point of faith, Pascal knew that it was necessary to remind them of the odds that are at stake, hence his celebrated wager in which he challenges men to gamble their lives on the possibility that Christianity might be true. We cannot see God. We cannot prove the truth of the gospel to exclude every possible doubt. 
We can only find out the truth of Christianity by risking our whole lives on it. End quote. What was this author talking about in reference to Pascal? When one breaks down Pascal's wager into, let's say, categories or boxes, he makes the argument as follows. Think of four boxes. You have the top two boxes and the bottom two boxes below them. The first box is belief with an eternity in heaven and that God exists. The box to the right of it, God doesn't exist. You don't lose much if you believe. The first box uh, on the bottom is disbelief and eternity in hell if God exists and you're an unbeliever. The second box is, well, you don't, you still don't lose much. Therefore, the smartest bet is that you wager on God existing every time. That's the best possible scenario. That's what he's trying to say. Now, the crucial question that arises is whether Pascal is right about being better off as a non-believer if God didn't exist. This premise really grinds the nerves of atheists and agnostics in their self-righteous indignation that rises up within them. In 2019, Pew Research Poll did an article titled, Are Religious People Happier and Healthier? Our new global study explores this question. <laughs> they concluded that religious people are in fact happier than non-believers. Isn't that interesting? And what's also interesting about the countries they did this study in is that most of the countries were where Christianity was ingrained in the society. What does Christianity offer that enables people to be happy? First, how about good quality and holy morality? Too many argue against this, but listen to my podcast response in podcast number 29, Can You Be Good Without God? It's a pretty good answer there. Before the Christian Foundation started to crumble in America, even the unsaved heathen were in lifelong marriages and stood for moral principles found right out of the Bible. Not that they actually believed in God, but that the culture was filled with such morality. They loved their kids, they raised their families, they worked hard, and yes, they even too hated sodomites. America was in quite quite a bit different back then and the powerful case can be made that pascal was correct in his second premise pascal believed that theists have better lives not because god is blessing them as some sort of reward even though that does happen but because belief similarly has inherent benefits this is very true god means what he says and says what he means there is a rhyme and reason to what he tells us to do, not to do, or what he does himself. If he tells you not to be a drunkard, well, Proverbs 23 tells you exactly what happens when you're a drunkard. If he tells you not to sleep around, you can get diseases and all sorts of things. Well, guess what? These types of things have inherent benefits, not only its association with either being holy or being sinful, obviously. Believing in God also gives you the security of feeling that the world is ordered and meaningful and that someone is always looking out for you, ultimately being that death is not the end. 
there were atheist apologists that will state that, well, it's just pragmatism that's being advocated for. Pragmatism is a theory of finding true beliefs and that it's less important than finding a belief that works practically in the living of your life. The atheist will say that, well, Pascal's argument has less to do if God is real more than whether it was practical. They will also say that Pascal was advocating for a sort of fake belief, a fake it till you make it type. <laughs> it was the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard who later said that you just need to take a leap of faith because religion in and of itself is unreasonable. Now there are a few things to keep in mind when addressing Pascal's wager. The pensée overall were isolated reflections, not a fully developed systematic study uh, of this sort of thing or like a detailed philosophical statement. It was just the, the thoughts of him later in his life. It was the infamous Richard Dawkins who mocked Pascal's wager in his book, The God Delusion, when he said, quote, Then again, suppose the God who confronts you when you die turns out to be Baal, and suppose Baal is just as jealous as his old rival Yahweh was said to be. Mightn't Pascal have been better off wagering on no God at all rather than the wrong God? End quote. The problem with this is that there was overwhelmingly more evidence for the Christian God than any other God in history. In fact, the uniqueness of God throughout history is actually very amazing. And that's another podcast in itself as well. Many times atheists will not separate the various gods and look at the evidence for there being a God that stands out from among them. You can actually go through history and narrow them down. Sure, there are little g-gods that come and go throughout history, but if you notice in history, one remains the same. It's pretty astounding. What Dawkins said might be true if we didn't have so much evidence to the contrary and evidence that points towards Yahweh God. We must understand that Pascal had the idea of the wager being addressed to the sporting men of the day, reminding them of the greater game being played at infinitely greater odds. Pascal devoted a great deal of energy to rational argument. At the same time, he realized what a vast distance there was between knowing God and loving him. He realized that the truth of Christianity lay deeper than arguments. That was the response of one philosopher. Now, Pascal was not betting in the way that we might perceive. He is stating that he finds fulfillment in more than just existential things. He states that he has found truth and eternal life. This is the idea that Pascal is trying to communicate. It is the risk versus reward assessment. Those of us who are born again make the same kind of assessment before we get saved. We weigh our sin alongside the punishment and then pit it against the grace of God and the forgiveness of our sins. In reference to the unbelievers of his day, Pascal said, quote, In truth, it is the glory of religion to have for enemies men so unreasonable and their opposition to it a little 
so little dangerous that it serves, on the contrary, to establish its truths. End quote. He basically said that given the evidence already presented, it is the unbelievers that are unreasonable saying that God does not exist. Pascal believed that man was overall evil and vain. He felt that the best way to convert people was to invoke everything that is terrible about life. He would say things like, quote, What is man a nothing compared to the infinite? Or, Man's greatness comes from knowing he is wretched. End quote. He hinged his argument around the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 27, which says, quote, And is appointed to men once to die, but after this, the judgment. End quote. As I said previously, he also appealed to the book of Romans about sin and its punishment as well. He addressed the unbeliever's objection of the believer just living out of fear. His objection by the unbeliever is, quote, Those who hope for salvation are so far happy, but they have as a counterpoise the fear of hell. But he responds to this person, Who has most reason to fear hell? He who is in ignorance, whether there is a hell, and is who is certain of damnation if there is? Or he who is certainly believes that there is a hell and hopes to be saved if there is, end quote. He is saying that the believer has nothing to fear and nothing to lose, but the believer is poised to lose everything. This, of course, is true, but we must also remember that we're not simply putting blind faith into what God said. The wonderful work of salvation is clearly demonstrated throughout history, and the Bible depicts it all. It is even more important that the person not only understand the consequences for their sin before a holy and righteous God and being judged to go to hell, but that there is a salvation found in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice paid on the cross for the sins of mankind. It is through Jesus' resurrection three days later that the Christ had given man victory over death and hell. It is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 through 57, which says, quote, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. End quote. We do have to note that when Pascal wrote this in the 1600s, there was very little of anything to prove the existence of God or prove the Bible. He wrote before the dawn of archaeology, for instance, and, the, and before modern science. A great emphasis was put on attacking the Bible in this time, saying that various cities and peoples that it talked about just didn't exist. I mean, of course... So much of that later would change because of the discovery of uh, cities and empires like the uh, Hittite Empire and finding the capital city of Hattusa. It was once mocked that the Hittites were a made-up people in the Bible. And then their ancient capital was found. How ironic. With all of the evidence that we gathered today, only a fool would choose not to believe in God. It also declares the faith of those who came before us in history. Think about it. 
our modern age will receive the greater condemnation because we have so much that demonstrates scriptures and who God said he is. We have so much available to us, to us so much knowledge. We will receive the greater condemnation because we have chosen to reject God as a whole in Western society. And oh, the faith of those in the scriptures who didn't even have the whole Bible at times, who didn't even have the New Testament even until later. Many of them lived and died not having the entire New Testament until some time well after it was written. Oh, the simple faith of those who didn't need the entire archaeological timeline laid out about the Bible and how it demonstrated its proofs in history. The faith of those men and women. In closing, let me give you a final thought that will hopefully get you thinking. With all of what was said, you can say, so you're telling me that we can demonstrate the veracity of the New Testament with over 5,000 Greek manuscripts going all the way back to the 2nd century and the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which had the whole book of Isaiah intact, demonstrating the veracity of the Old Testament. And archaeology had demonstrated biblical cities and events all over the Middle East and civilization to see the results of a global catastrophe that many would say is the worldwide flood. And since the whole world was different before the flood, I would just have to take that last little bit in the beginning of the Bible, that last little bit of history to include God creating the universe by faith. Take that by faith, that little bit, that 2% of the Bible. I think it isn't too unreasonable at all to believe that God truly is who he says that he is. Pascal states that there is no middle ground in this wager, as we are all forced to wager. Though this wager is highly mischaracterized by atheists and misused by evangelicals even, it does open up the thought process of an individual to consider the supernatural, and that there is pretty good assurance that you can wager on God. I want to thank you for listening. And be sure to follow us on the podcast media. Please take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com, and subscribe for more updates. Stay tuned next time for more great content, and remember to find your refuge and strength in Our Mighty Fortress.